a great, and would you meet the greatest need that each person has? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was eight years old, and my neighbor Jeff and I were playing baseball all day long at the baseball field that was right next to the church where my dad pastored. And we kept playing and playing and playing, and eventually we had experienced 10 World Series, okay? Uh, just game after game after game. And so we got to the end of the time, and we just kind of got tired, and we started getting bored. And so we looked over, and we saw this school bus that was in the parking lot of the church where my dad pastored. And on the outside of it, it said Texas Migrant Council. And we had a uh, daycare that met in the church where my dad pastored. And uh, they would take care of the kids during the day while their parents were out in the fields as migrants. And so we go to this bus and we start investigating it to see if we could get inside it. And we couldn't get inside from the side door. So we went to the back and we thought we could get in from there. And we couldn't do that either. So we decided we would make up a game in which we would take some rocks that were in the parking lot and we would throw them towards the bus to see who could get closest to it without hitting it. I think you know where this is going, right? So Jeff picks up a rock and he throws it. And then I pick up a rock and I throw it. And we do this for 30 minutes and we neither one hit the bus, but we got really, really close. And then I picked up one rock and I got ready to throw it. And it got away from me, just like many NFL quarterbacks today, you know. The ball will just kind of get away. And it got away from me and smash, it hit the windshield and left a mark right on it. And I'll never forget my friend Jeff looking at me straight in the face and said, Dude, that wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) Folks, there are multiple times in my life where something's going on in which I'm like, Dude, that was not supposed to happen. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever kind of gone through one of those things where you're like, Dude, that wasn't supposed to happen that way. Recently, I was uh, getting the kids up for, for school, uh, getting ready them to go, getting them to, to go to school, and we're getting them all ready. And uh, they just weren't cooperating very much. They they tend not to cooperate when my wife's around. When it's just me, uh, you know, it's all good. But when she's there, I don't know why um, there there's struggles. And so we're we're struggling with all this. There's some issues going on. And um, we can't get them ready, and we finally do, and, and I take one, and Jen takes the other, and there's frustration, and we're just barely there, and they get in school, and, and that's it. And so we leave from there, and I'm like, well, at least now I can go and spend some time with God, and I can, uh, you know, pray. And, and so I go to this park that I usually go to, and, and I'm there, and I'm praying, when uh, all of a sudden I get quiet, I open up the Bible, and... One of the workers gets their lawnmower and starts mowing around my car. And I'm like, are you serious? You know, and so then I go to a staff meeting and it doesn't go the way that I want it to. But I'm like, well, I'm going to lunch with someone at Applebee's and surely, you know, that'll be good. And I get there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I call 
and they stood me up. And so I leave from Applebee's. I didn't eat anything. I'm walking out, and the first thing in my mind is, dude, this day was not supposed to happen like this, you know? Have you had one of those days before where you were expecting things to turn out a certain way and it just didn't work out? One of those days where you're thinking everything's going to go one way and then it actually goes the other. Today, what I want to talk about is that word expectant and expectancy from a scriptural kind of perspective. I want to talk about our unmet expectations that we have and how we can learn how to overcome them. And I want to begin all of this with our big idea. This is your first fill-in in in your program or online. And here's our big idea. Even when our expectations aren't met, God is still present. Even when our expectations are not met, God is still present. And I want to unpack this whole kind of thing by looking at one of my favorite characters in the Bible, a guy by the name of John the Baptist. First of all, what you have to realize is that God had some really cool plans for John's life even before he was born. Now, it didn't start off so great, though, because his mother, Elizabeth, had desired to have children and she wasn't able to have them. And so she finally got to the point where she accepted it, and she was okay that she would never be a mother. But then all of a sudden, she got this prophetic message one day in which God said, no, you're going to have a child. And about that same time, uh, God goes to uh, her husband, Zechariah, who's a priest, and he's walking into the temple, the church of that day, and he's getting ready to walk in, and he encounters a prophetic word as well, where it says, your wife is going to have a child. And when he hears this message from God, he starts laughing and he's like, there's no way. And an angel comes down and actually quiets his mouth and he is mute for the whole time that she's pregnant. Now, sidebar here, uh, some of you who are married right now probably wish that that would happen to your husband, right? Like, God would actually come down and kind of, you know, shut his mouth a little bit. At least I know that is for my wife sometimes. But he can't speak, and he's just kind of standing there, and then all of a sudden he realizes that I think this thing is true. God's going to do some amazing stuff through my son named John. And so uh, John is born, and they raise him with all of these holy vows. He's the most holy and righteous person we find out in Scripture that had walked uh, planet Earth. And uh, he never drinks any alcohol. He chooses a life of celibacy. He never gets married. He dedicates his own, whole life to the things of God. And he even says, you know what, my wardrobe doesn't matter because I'm just all about God. And so he actually uh, has a wardrobe that has animal skins and he never shaves. A recent movie had him depicted this way. I mean, that's a lot of hair, folks. And it's like Duck Dynasty, you know, comes to earth and, and worse. And, and it's like, you know, this whole thing, this wild man, he's looking and, and he's so holy that he only eats locusts and wild honey um, because he wants to focus on the things of God. Now, 
he has this whole experience while he's out in the wilderness. And the concept of wilderness goes throughout all of Scripture. It's a very important theme for the Hebrew mindset. That God is often going to do something great through people when they're in a wilderness. And maybe for some of you, you're in a wilderness right now and you don't realize that God's actually molding and shaping if you stick with him to do something great. So John is there, he's in the wilderness, and uh, he has kind of a light verse, and he's speaking to a few people, and then tens of people, then hundreds of people, and then thousands, and this is kind of his whole focus, his mission of life. And it says this in Luke. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, in other words, 700 years before this, this guy named Isaiah said, hey, this is going to happen, and the people have been waiting expectantly, but... But it just hasn't happened. But now John says, hey, remember Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. And this verse is central to this story. Because in that day, if there was a new king getting ready to come to a new city, there would be messengers who would go ahead letting everybody know this. And they would make sure that the road was ready and prepared, that it wasn't too crooked, that it would be straightened up. If there were rocks in the way, they would clear them to make sure that they could get from point A to point B. And basically what John is saying is, this is my job. This is my calling. I'm simply preparing the way for the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for for 700 years. And John was in the wilderness as he's teaching this. And eventually people start coming there and there's hundreds and then thousands. And this was his message. It was a message of repentance. He was just telling them, turn away from your sin and return back to the heart of God. He says, If you'll do that, then your hearts will be prepared. Your minds will be prepared. You will be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And he starts baptizing people and saying, now you're baptized with the baptism of repentance. Now all of a sudden you have repented and God's going to prepare you for this Messiah. And John is always open, though, to telling other people, I'm not the one. You might enjoy my teaching and you might like me, but I'm not the one. I'm simply preparing the way. I'm not even worthy to untie this person's sandals. And he's going to come here and he's going to baptize not just with water, but fire. He's going to do amazing things. He's going to impact the world forever and he'll be the Messiah. And then one day John is there and he's baptizing some people and he looks out and he sees this person. He's like, I think that's it. That's the one. And he's like, that's my cousin. He's like, what up, cuz? You know? And he's like, I didn't know you were the one this whole time. But now I know you are the one. And he says, but I shouldn't be baptizing you, Jesus. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. I'm supposed to be baptized by you, John. So Jesus enters the waters of baptism to start his public ministry, and John baptizes him, and this is what Scripture says. As he's baptizing him, think about that. You're getting baptized, and a voice came from heaven. God's voice looks down and says, This is my son 
whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then scripture tells us that right after this in Luke 4, then Jesus actually is taken out into a wilderness. You see, John was in the wilderness, and now Jesus is taken out into the wilderness as well. And he's led by the Spirit there for 40 days. Now, the thing with this story is that most of the time when we look at it, we look at it from Jesus' perspective. But today, what I want us to do is to focus on it from John's perspective. I have a feeling that John was thinking, man, my job's done now. I've done everything to prepare the way for Jesus. Now I can step out of the way. I fulfilled the calling of my life. And in his mind, I'm sure he's thinking, I mean, it just makes sense. You know, there was a guy in the Old Testament who was in a wilderness for 40 days. Do you remember his name? His name's Moses, by the way, just in case you were wondering. But but he's like the, the person who who's prepared by God for 40 days. And then John's like, I was in the wilderness, and now this guy Jesus, he's in the wilderness, and, and he's there for 40 days. And John's like, this is happening. Like it's actually taking place. My whole life has come to this moment of preparing the way for the Messiah. Now what you've got to understand is that in the context at this time, uh, all of the Jewish world was under occupation. Rome actually was oppressing all the Jews. They were almost like slaves. But the belief was that when the Messiah came, he would make everything right and Rome would be overthrown and there would be power and miracles and the Jewish faith would once again become the one that would bring those who were far from God close to him. And so John is thinking this is the Messiah that it's going to be. And he gets bold. He starts getting a little bit cocky. Even. He's like, hey, he's here now, man. It's going to go. And the problem was he gets real bold in front of a guy who had power, but he didn't care. His name was Herod Antipas. He was like the king of that region. And he goes to him and uh, he says, hey, I've heard some things that aren't so good, that you actually are married, but you want to hook up with your brother's wife. Everybody go, ooh. I mean, that is, right? Like, this is Jerry Springer, you know? It's like, he's married to this woman, but he doesn't want his wife. He wants the other one whose name is Herodias, and he actually, a scandal breaks out in the kingdom. And there is this whole experience that takes place in which... He gets rid of the one, and he marries his brother's wife. Well, John the Baptist then goes to the king, and he hears all of this, and he like gets in his grill, and he tells him, you know, this shouldn't be going down like this. Dude, this is not the way this is supposed to happen. And then look at what it says in Luke chapter 3. John spoke against Herod, the governor, because of the sin with Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother, and because of the many other evil things Herod did. So Herod did something even worse. He put John in prison. He's like, oh, you're trying to get in my face, John boy? John boy, go to jail. 
you're in prison, you're, you're thrown in there. And now John is locked up in prison in a place where he can't get out of. And I'm sure that he's in the midst of the prison, but he's imagining in his head, it's okay, it's all right, because my cuz is here. And now that he's here, you guys are going to be in trouble. I'll just be here a little bit, and then day one goes by. And then day two comes. It's like, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, he might have got delayed, but he's going to be here, and you guys are going to pay. And then day three comes. He goes, uh, hey, do you guys have any locusts and wild honey? Because um, I'm starting to get a little, oh, you don't have any? Well, that's okay. I know Jesus is coming. And then day four, Jesus, you know, are you coming? And day five, where are you, Jesus? And then finally, day six, Jesus, have you forgotten about me? And then finally a week goes by and day seven. I'm wondering if I got this right. I'm wondering if he's the one. I mean, John's stuck there in prison. And I'm sure he's thinking, dude, this is not the way this was supposed to happen. We were supposed to tear down Rome. We were supposed to build up the kingdom of God. We were supposed to set all Jewish people free. And we could go forward with this. Jesus, where are you? And you know where Jesus was? He's out doing his father's work. He's getting these 12 guys together called his disciples, his best friends. He says, hey, I want you to come. And then all of a sudden, they start following him. And he starts doing these incredible miracles and healings. And he's actually bringing people back from the dead. And then all of a sudden, the people that were, were following John aren't following John anymore. They're like, hey, man, we want to hang out with Jesus now. And so the crowd is shifting. And people begin to start saying, this guy is not just a rabbi. He's not like John. Like, he is the real deal. I mean, he is the one. And the news began to spread. And in Luke chapter 7 verse 17 it says this the news about jesus spread throughout judea and the surrounding country so john's hearing all of this but he folks is stuck in a prison cell and one day his his disciples his loyal ones that didn't quite follow jesus but they stayed with him they come to him to visit him in prison and i'm sure he's thinking you know tell me what's going on and they tell him and he's like dude that's not the way I thought this was going to work. This isn't the way I expected it to go. So he does something. And the scripture says in verse 18, he says, John's disciples told him about all the things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Folks, that's a powerful question, isn't it? Are you the one or should we be expecting someone else? And it's a question that's filled with doubt. I thought you were the one. I was hoping you were the one. But now, I don't know. But because you're out there, Jesus, and I'm in here, and you're not doing anything about me being in here, I'm not sure you're the one anymore. 
Are you the one? Or should we be expecting someone else? And then in verse 20, we read these words. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know what I find interesting about this passage of Scripture? Jesus never answers his question. He never answers it. Are you the one or should we be expecting someone else? And I'm sure he's sitting there in prison thinking, have I prepared the way for the wrong person? He's questioning it because Jesus is not meeting his expectations of what he thought the Messiah would actually look like. Folks, John is is wrestling with the fact that God is not meeting his expectations. Jesus is not who he expected him to be. Have you ever felt like God has not met an expectation of yours? Maybe you're in a season right now where you've been asking and praying and it just seems like God is silent. Are you the one that's going to help with this God or should I expect someone else? So for the rest of our time, what I want us to look at is something called biblical expectancy. It's kind of two big words, but we'll talk about them and you'll get them very quickly. And it's easy to see. Uh, This is what biblical expectancy is. We'll go to the next slide. My alignment with God's begin to do this. I'll tell you, we end up in prison just like. Several years ago, I was attending a leadership conference, and there was this great speaker, and uh, he was um, speaking on this concept, and he said this. He said, do you know what pain and frustration is? It's the gap between your expectation and reality. And he drew this continuum. He said, this is where your angst, and your pain and your hurt happens is between what is your expectation, but then what truly is reality. And however big this gap is, is where you'll find all of that. And I'll never forget looking at that, such a simple kind of graph and thinking to myself, wow, so much. Do you ever find yourself having an expectation of God doing something or your spouse doing something or your friends or family or coworkers or your boss, and then it doesn't happen, the reality that doesn't, and you get frustrated and you get angry. Well, I want to share with you three types of kind of expectation that can lead us into prison. The first one is this, unrealistic expectation. 
unrealistic expectation. Do you know what this is? This is where you call your spouse and you say, I'm five minutes away. The problem is you're in Yorktown and you're supposed to meet them at the mall. There is nobody who is five minutes away if you're in Yorktown and you have to meet them at the mall. And the spouse knows it and you know it, but you have kind of this unmet expectation within you that you're like, hey, you know what? Uh, It's unrealistic, but I think I can do it. Folks, I'm telling you, there's no one in the history of the world who has ever hit all green lights on McGalliard. That is a prophetic word, just so you know. No one ever does that. It's simply unrealistic. And folks, we do this all the time with our spouses, our friends, our coworkers, neighbors, whoever. Unrealistic expectation. The second thing is unspoken expectation. Unspoken expectation. Do you know what the kindest thing you can do is? Well, if they love me, they'll know exactly what I need. My wife, Jennifer, used to do this in the early years of our marriage. She wouldn't give me a clue of what she wanted. And it would drive me absolutely crazy. And I would look at her and I'd go, babe, help me help you. Tell me exactly what you want. And so now after, you know, 25 years of marriage, she tells me what she wants or she's like, hey, I ordered this and, you know, you don't have to wrap it, but (laughs) speak your expectation. And oftentimes when it doesn't happen that way, we hold on to it and then we say things like this. See, they didn't know me. See, they didn't love me. They don't get me. And we make all these assumptions about the other person. Unspoken expectations. It'll lead you to prison. And then finally, the third thing is unaware expectation. You're just unaware. This typically happens the most when we put so much into our schedule in our life that we are going so fast, like Mach 10 speed. We're going so fast that we just leave no margin in our life. And all of a sudden, there's people around us in a wake of hurt or pain or whatever, and we're just unaware of the expectation that is within us. And folks, here's where the danger lies. When you get sucked into those things, unrealistic expectation, unspoken, unaware, what ends up happening? Something happens, and something lingers, something is taken out, and we look at that graphic, and all of a sudden, now... From our expectation reality, it's not there. And what comes up? Bitterness, anger, and then eventually some other sin. So let me ask you this morning. What's your gap right now? What's in your gap right now? Is there some area of your life where you express something? And you haven't heard exactly or the expectation wasn't met by a spouse or a friend or a neighbor or maybe God. And it's 
far, far from reality. And the truth is, you're getting angry and you're getting bitter. And it leads to sin. You know, the most sincere and strongest Christ followers I know, they choose to take this whole concept of expectation and reality and they narrow the margin so that they don't live in that world. They simply walk through a day and they say, I'm going to have biblical expectancy. That I'm going to align my life to whatever God's purpose is. And they'll walk through things like unrealistic, unspoken, unaware expectations. And they say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that because that leads to prison. I'm simply going to lead my life like this. But when we don't, folks, then what happens is there's brokenness and pain and more sin. And I want you to know, folks, I don't want that for your life. And so Jesus comes with this tough answer that maybe you overlooked at the beginning, but at the very end, he says this, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know, when John hears the words while he's in prison, he's like, Ah, Jesus, I'm excited that you're doing all of this stuff for the people out there. I I love you, cuz, but just want to let you know, I'm still in here. Blessed is you if you don't stumble, but I'm in prison and I'm waiting for you to get me out. And you didn't even come yourself, Jesus. My disciples had to come and tell me what was going on. It's kind of like, you know, getting a group happy birthday and everyone doesn't actually send you an individual personalized birthday. They just add on to the list of everyone else. And you're like, I thought we were friends. I thought we were related. I thought you would actually send me a text. You didn't even come and tell me yourself. You just kind of added the group. And so John to doubt are you and three years ago was the last time that I've heard from my brother and uh, it hurts and my uh, two girls will talk about Uncle Tim sometimes and they, they don't even remember who he is and I prayed and I prayed And it may seem dumb because he stopped even texting to me. I keep texting about once a month asking, you know, for some relationship. And I don't even know if he has the phone anymore because the last time I sent something to him, the response I got back, the last response was, who dis, cuz? My brother's one of the biggest rednecks I know. He is not going to say, who dis, cuz? And I get no response, and, and now they're not even responding. And it just feels like, man, God, I, I'm praying, I, I'm asking for 25 years. I've been asking that you would soften his heart, and nothing is changing. There's this sense of unmet expectation. Is there a relationship in your life? Is there something with your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your grandparents, your parents, where it's like you've been praying and asking and wanting reconciliation, but there's nothing there. Maybe it's with an ex-spouse or 
a girlfriend or a boyfriend, something, but it's just not working. Maybe it's something with your finances. You've been working your tail off and you're trying and you're asking, and God, I'm going to church, I'm doing the things, and it's just not working. Maybe it's something within your world with your kids. You you have children and, and you're wanting the best for them, and yet they're making choices and you're praying and you're asking and it's just not there. And sometimes, folks, I, I get so discouraged. And then all of a sudden I'm reminded about other stories of other people who they get reconciled. And then I see God do something in my life and he's faithful in some area. And I think to myself, well, maybe that, maybe that is a sign. And all of a sudden I'm like, God, I don't want to live in despair. I'm just choosing That even though it may be my plan, I'm surrendering to your purpose. I'm aligning my life with you, God. You don't work for me, God. God, I work for you, and so I'll align it with that. You see, folks, I've learned that I do not, and you shouldn't either, ever interpret the goodness of God through your circumstances. Instead, we should always interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. Uh, Don't miss this. For some of you, this is why you came today. Is God good based on my circumstances? Is God good based upon my expectations? Or do I simply interpret my circumstances through the goodness of God? My faith is not my plan, but my faith is what God's purpose is. And rather than living in a prison of unrealistic and unspoken and unaware expectations, I choose to align myself with the purposes of God. Because God is good, folks. And Scripture tells us this. Romans chapter 28 says this, And we know that in how many things? In all things... God works for the what? The good of those who love him, who have been called according to whose purpose? His purpose. This doesn't say that all the things in your life are going to be good. I'm telling you, folks, the relationship and not having it with my brother and the pain my parents have gone through and our family and the struggles, it's not good. But God's good. And he sees everything that happens to us, and he can bring good out of it because that is his purpose. Folks, when you don't understand, when you have unmet expectations, when things are not going the way that it is supposed to go, when you have one of those moments where you're like, dude, it's not so supposed to happen like this, I want you to remember this. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You don't have to have all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted to figure it out. Folks, when your expectations aren't met, God's still present. And his purposes ultimately prevail. Listen, I don't want you to live a life where you feel like you're in prison of unrealistic, unspoken, unaware expectations. Because it's just the playground for the enemy to keep us there. But I desire that 
you would do whatever you can do to be attentive and aligned with the purpose of God. So this is how we're going to close. When you walked in today, you received a card that looks like this that says expectant prayer. Because that's what prayer is. It's simply we're expecting God to show up. Our circumstances don't show it, but we're believing and trusting. We're going to align ourselves with him to do that. And I was thinking about this idea of expectant prayer as it relates to the wailing wall in Jerusalem. I've never been there before, but I was looking at a picture this week, and you can see it here. And people will go to this wall where people have gone for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And they'll, they'll go and they'll write down prayers and then they kind of put it inside these different creases, believing that God will actually hear and eventually answer this in His time and in His purpose. And my first thought was we were going to have like a big wall outside and people would go and they'd like put it on the inside. And then my staff said, you're nuts. And they're right. So I don't know who that is, but greeters remove that person. But hey, this is, this is serious stuff. For some of you, you're wanting God to show up in a way that you haven't seen Him. And maybe like me, you've prayed for years to do this. Maybe for others of you, it's been days or weeks. But I really think God does want to work right now in this moment in the prayer that you have. And so what I'd like you to do is pull this card out. If you don't have it, just raise your hand. Our greeters are there. They'll bring one to you. Uh, this is worth the price of admission for you to kind of do this. If you need a pen, they'll get that for you. And then we're going to bring down the light so that you don't have to worry about what someone else is writing. But you can write down what you want. And then at the end of our celebration, we'll have some bags that will be passed. And what I want you to do is to place this in there. And as a staff, you don't have to put your name, but as a staff, this week we're going to pray for every single one of these requests, believing that God can meet these. So I'd like to give you a moment right now, just between you and God, of what is your expected prayer, that you need Him to move. You're not seeing it. You almost feel like, John, you're in prison and feel like, you know what, he, he's forgotten me. I want you to know he hasn't forgotten you. This might be the greatest sign of faith you would have to fill this out. So if you would, take a moment to do that right now.
take your time. But three years ago for me, I wrote a similar prayer about my brother, and I've just been praying. And I'm praying, just believing, expecting that, you know, God, you're eventually going to come through in a way that maybe I don't see right now. So whatever your prayer is, when the bag comes by here in just a few minutes, that you put that in there and believe that God is for you and with you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit right now would move in the lives of each person who's here. I know there are many people, God, who are hurting right now. They're facing some situations that they do not understand. It feels as if to them that you are not meeting the expectation that they need. I pray right now, God, that you bring healing to them in the only way that you can. Maybe for some of you right now, your expected prayer is you're facing an illness or someone in your family is and you want to see God move. Maybe you're facing a, a struggle at work. Maybe there's a relationship in your life right now that is strained and you want to see God move. Whatever it is, if you're honest, you would just say, there's something that just doesn't make sense. I'm starting to wonder know, should we be expecting you or someone else? And today Jesus wants to let you know, I'm here, I'm present, I'm with you, I'm for you. God, would you do miracles in this place today that we would look back and see that you truly did answer this so that your name, God, would be made great. God, would you comfort people who are hurting right now? Send your presence to them. Give them one more hope to believe that you are a God who's working all things for their good. Maybe you're here today and you've drifted away from God. Circumstances of your life have been so difficult and you're just like, I don't know if he's good anymore and you've drifted away, but that's not working either. Maybe you've never turned your life over to him. Maybe today, though, he's like, that's your prayer. Expect me in your life to show up to be with you. And he wants that because he loves you so much. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less and nothing you can do to make him love you more. He loves you just the way you are. He went to a cross. He spread out his arms so that all of your sins would be on him and you would be free. So today, for some of you, maybe it's your time. It's your time to say, God, my prayer is for you to be in my life. I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I need your grace. I need the assurance of being with you. And if you're ready to receive God into your life today, I invite you to simply pray this prayer after me. And you don't have to pray this prayer alone, but there are others who are there. We all pray this together in unity. And I invite you to simply repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I can live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. 
Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray.